Great. Well, praise God. It's good to be together and uh, just looking out. Did Sam and Blessy make it this morning? There. Blessy's not here, just you guys and baby Shalom's at home. Okay, well, I'll save my special welcome for... But you're still welcome, Sam, and of course, Shekinah is as well. Not that you're not special too, because of course you are. But. No, praise God, it's great to be together. It's lovely to see faces that are here for the first time, and uh, as well as um, the, the church family, who it's always a joy to, 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 to be together. Obviously, holiday season is upon us. So there's a lot of comings and goings, but... Uh, someone actually walked in and said, oh, it feels a bit like church this morning. You know, the, church, the rows are different. We're in two rows. We're, we're, we're heading in the, uh, the direction. Praise God. Well, we're going to get into God's Word together this morning. And uh, I invite you just to turn in your Bibles with me to Second um, Chronicles uh, chapter 29. And uh, the title of my message today is A Revival of Personal Obedience. A revival of personal obedience. I want to look at the stories of what was one of the great revivals in the Bible. Um, and it runs across uh, chapters 29 through to 31. You'll be pleased now. I'm not going to read them all to you today. Um, uh, but it was the beginning of a move of God that, that touched a nation that, um, in Judah, uh, there in, in Israel, that was spiritually just in such a, a kind of uh, steep decline. Um, Hezekiah was actually, as he comes to the throne, and it's Hezekiah who we're going to look at today, Hezekiah was actually the first king in over a hundred years who had wanted to put God at the heart of things. And so there have been like a hundred plus years of history of a nation that was far, uh, increasingly far removed and distant uh, from God. And, you know, as a king, when the king was not interested in God, what well, it seemed to create this society that was disinterested in God. And so some hundred years have gone by, and the previous king, um, who was called Ahaz, in chapter 28 and verse 19, it says, Ahaz, king of Israel, had made Judah act sinfully. That, sin, that word sinfully there actually means wildly. So it kind of gives us the impression of what Hezekiah was inheriting uh, as a nation, uh, a, a nation that were living wildly. Um, and it says, and have been, they had been very unfaithful to the Lord. So there's no shadow of a doubt that what Hezekiah inherited was a big job. And uh, yet what I love is that even with a hundred years of declining history, he believed that revival could come. No matter how much time had passed by, no matter how bad things might have seemed or, or what he saw around him, he believed in all his heart that revival could still come to that nation. In chapter 30 and verse 9, he says, The Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn His face from you if you return to Him. There was that conviction that revival could come to a nation that for some hundred years plus had been far from God. And revival did come to that nation. There was a move of God. Uh, God touched that nation in a wonderful way. And we see a nation disinterested and far removed, transformed into a people who now have God at the center of things. And at one point, a people who didn't uh, even want to worship Him, when they do come and they do begin to celebrate and they do worship and they have the Passover, it's like they say, man, this is so awesome. Let's just let it go on. And so it goes on for like another seven days. So, uh, you know, if God breaks out today, you do realize you could still be here this time next Sunday, don't you? You know, but this was what we kind of see from, from that to that. From a people like not interested, it's like, oh my days, God is 
awesome. Let's worship on for another seven days. But I want to really just focus this morning on something that it's been well said about the place where revival begins. It's been said by many people down the years, but I really want to focus on a few key verses and then I'll pluck a few from the other chapters as well. But I'm just going to read from chapter 29, verse 1 through to 5. And we're just going to, for a moment, just pause and consider how this revival begun. So chapter 29, verse 1 to 5 says, Hezekiah began to reign when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Would you read that line with me this morning, please, church? And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. Hezekiah cleanses the temple. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, the first thing he done, He opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites and assembled them in the square on the east and said to them, Hear me, Levites, now consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord. Now consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry out the filth from the holy place. Hezekiah, verse 2, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that David his father had done. Now, here's the, here's the thing. David wasn't actually his dad. So, why does it actually say that Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord like his father David had done? Actually, Hezekiah's dad was Ahaz, the guy I just read about who caused the nation to act wildly and sinfully. And so Hezekiah was kind of raised in that kind of environment. And and he was a wicked king. And so why would it say like his father David uh, did or done? Well, Acts 13 verse 22, you'll know this verse well because we quote usually around 50% of it quite a bit in church. uh, In discussions, in, in, in studies, in Bible groups, in conversation, in messages. Um. This was what God himself had testified concerning David, who was king of the nation before Hezekiah's time. He said, God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Now, we quote that one a lot, don't we? What does it mean to be a man or a woman after God's own heart? It's something that we ponder. And then it gives us the definition of what it means to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to what his father David had done. David will do everything I ask him to do. In other words, the very definition of a man or woman who are after the heart of God is a person who says, I resolve to want to live as God wants me to live, to do what's right in the eyes of God, and that's how I want to live my life. And so God says this about Hezekiah, Because in him, he found a man like David who wasn't perfect. I mean, read our Bible. We sure know that there were times when David, I was going to say royally messed up. That's pretty accurate. You know, he he did make some large messes. So he was far from perfect, yet God saw in him a deep desire to follow God and to do what God wanted. 
And so God says, he's a man after my own heart because of two things. He recognizes what I want him to do. You're going to hear this a lot this morning. Recognize and respond. Recognize and respond. He recognizes what I ask him to do, but we go beyond the place of just, I know what to do. He responds to that. He will do everything that I want him to do. In other words, when God says it, that's how I want to do it. That's how I want to live. And so he was a man who recognized and responded. In other words, I believe that in bringing those two things together, there in itself we have what real biblical obedience looks like. I said earlier on about a revival of personal obedience. Personal obedience could even be spelled A-C-T-I-O-N because it's more than just knowing what God wants us to do. It's actually doing it. It's it's, it's active. It's, It's an action. And so what we find is this recognition and response, this obedience, actually what God says, they they were the very expression of a man, of a king who I found, who loved me and, and who wanted to put me first. And he says, I see the same thing in Hezekiah. Charles Spurgeon said, love for God is obedience. Love for God is holiness. And so whenever God found a king, and there wasn't actually that many, who really wanted to recognize and respond and obey what God asked of them to do, he'd use this phrase, as his father David did. It means they were a lot like him. Not perfect, but they loved God and were committed to doing what God wanted. And that's endorsed in chapter 30, verse uh, 20 to 21 of Hezekiah. That's Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, um, and he did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. He resolved, I want to do what is right in the eyes of God. And every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God and in accordance with the law and the commandments, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and he prospered. Friends, there is something in that that when we begin to do what is right in the eyes of God, we begin to, we begin to prosper. I'm not talking like prosperity gospel rubbish. See, only God can cause revival, amen? Only God can cause revival. Only God can stir a nation like this. Only God can bring people back to himself. But the truth is, friends, it begins where God finds a people who want to obey him. It begins where God finds the people who say, I recognize what God is asking us to do, how God wants me to live my life, and I respond to that. Now, every time I use the term revival today, I want you to apply it to personal revival. I want you to apply it to revival in the house of the Lord. I want you to uh, apply it to revival in the community. Friends, it begins where God finds a people who love him and want to live right in his eyes. And so Stephen Furtick says, great moves of God are usually preceded by simple acts of obedience. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, one act of obedience is better than 100 sermons. And that's the whole thing. It's not just knowing what God wants us to do, but applying that to our lives. So Hezekiah recognized and responded True obedience always results in action. A.W. Tozer says the driver on the highway is safe, not when he reads the signs, but when he obeys them. And so throughout the Bible, 
you know, we, we see that one James, uh, James, sorry, one verse 22 says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Don't just know, don't just read the signs, obey them, follow them. New Living Translation says, don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. The message version says, I, I, I like this, don't let the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. And so it's the way that Hezekiah responded that opened the door to the revival which only God could bring about. But there is absolutely something about the way we respond that triggers um, and opens the possibility and opens the doors to revival. Personally in your life, if you feel uh, somewhat distant from God or you know you want to come back to it, I want to say to you, do not underestimate beginning to do what Hezekiah done. Just start doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. That can mean different things for different ones of us. But Hezekiah, he didn't, what I love, he didn't become consumed about the past disobedience. And there was some hundred years of that stuff. He said, look, there's been this past disobedience. Now, of course he was concerned about it, but I want to say this to you. He was more concerned with present obedience. There was a history of some past disobedience, but he said, you know what? Yeah, that's bad. What are we going to do now? And sometimes we need to look at our life and actually there may be some, being honest, there may be some disobedience in there down the years. But I want to tell you the most important thing is, yet, okay, we acknowledge that, but what are we going to do now? What are we going to do today? Are we going to begin to obey God today? Because it's present day obedience that really begins to open the door to something special. And Hezekiah, don't just look around and don't just sort of say, well, you need to sort this out and you need to sort this out. He says it's got to start in me. And so he begins to personally apply this to his life. Laura, there's just a couple of people at the door. I think he might be looking to come in. But he, he, he begins to apply this to his own life and he applies it to him personally. So he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Second Kings uh, 18 and 19, is, his story is also told there. It says he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that was none like him among the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments, what God had asked, that the Lord had commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went out, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. I'm not going to serve other things or other kings. I resolve to do what God wants me to do. So he lived. He resolved to do what was right in the eyes of God. It's the way I'm living. It's where he begins with himself. The way, you know, the decisions I'm taking. Is this right in the eyes of the Lord? Is this what God wants me to do? Now, to, to fast forward this into our day and age, it would be me and you now actually coming before God and saying, God, is the way I'm speaking right in the eyes of the Lord? Are the things I'm watching right in the eyes of the Lord? Are the ways I'm treating people right in the eyes of the Lord? Is the example that I'm setting right in the eyes of the Lord? To my work friends, to, to, to my home, to my husband or wife, to my children, you know, are the decisions I'm taking Right in the eyes of the Lord. And what I love is that Hezekiah, and I know I keep saying what I love, but I do because I just think it's brilliant. <laughs> what, I, what I love is that Hezekiah grabs a hold of this, I want to live God's way from a young age. 
says he was just 25 years old when he came to the throne. You know, that's young, isn't it? Even I'm looking at that now thinking that's young. At 25 years, so what I love is that he didn't just kick the can of personal obedience down the road. Oh, that's for when you get older. You know, we'll, we'll do that later in the day. Live how I want now and then come round to them days. But from 25 years of age, he resolved, oh, I want to live how God wants me to live. Young people, you need to hear this. Resolve to live how God wants you to live. He didn't just push it on. And so we must never underestimate how doing what is right in the eyes of God is key to seeing his blessing. It's key to seeing him moving in our life, in our churches, in our communities. If we, who wants the blessing of God upon their life? Then, friends, we must be passionate and committed to doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Recently heard it said, a lot of people want God's blessings but don't want to live right to receive them. I want that, but I don't really want to change the way I'm living. But Hezekiah knew living right, holiness, righteousness, living clean, it matters. It positions us to receive because God never, I was on a, I was on a FaceTime uh, call the other day with Basil and he just dropped this line when he was in a meeting and he was pondering something and I was, it was just like, Phew. and he just said, he said, I just said to God, God, I know you never bless disobedience. I thought, yeah, that's gold. God, you never bless disobedience. But his blessings are released and revival becomes possible when there's a passion to please God. Now, I know that sounds so simple. You say, you know, Daryl, is this what we hire you for to preach such a simple message as this one? But it just occurs to me, friends, that simple obedience is not as common as we think. Because it, weren't found, it wasn't found in Judah for a hundred years. They knew what God wanted them to do. But the kings just kept kicking the can down the road. No, not for me. Until Hezekiah came along and said, No, I want to live how God wants me to live. If God finds a man or a woman with a heart that says, I want to please him more than I want to please man, then it, things really become possible. And so Hezekiah, he wasn't, it wasn't common. It was an exception to find someone like this. And in fact, in chapter 30, verse 10, it tells us that when those who with him did resolve to live what was right with God, uh, to live right with God, it says, and I quote, they were laughed at, scorned, and mocked. Chapter 30, verse 10. It's not easy to want to live in the world and in the society in which we live God's way. Actually, friends, if I'm being very upfront, you'll be misunderstood. You may well be laughed at and scorned and mocked and people will say things like this. I heard this just recently. Well, it's a different world we're living in now. You know, it's a more modern world that we're living in now. And so, you know, things have moved on and things have changed. But, you know, Hezekiah comes along and says, nothing's changed in 100 years. We need to live how God wants us to live. Friends, nothing's changed in 2,000 years. We need to live how Jesus wants us to live. The word of God, the truth, is timeless. God doesn't say, well, it's no longer relevant because we now live in a more modern world and we must quit, substitute in experience, cannot create a theology out of our experience. It's about what the Bible says. Now, some people say, well, you're awful old school and proud. Not proud, proud, because that would be bad to be proud, proud. <laughs> but we need to resolve 
to live to this. You know, you don't flick through the New Testament and go, well, that don't matter because it's a more modern world, and that don't matter because it's a more modern world. Nor can we actually, friends, live in a place where, some people just need to hear this, where we blame others for where things have gone wrong. Sometimes that's an easy out. Now, sometimes there is obviously things that people have done, and of course, but friends, there are also the time when, do you know what, sometimes we have to take personal responsibility for some things. Just look in the mirror and say, God, is there anything I've done? Now, of course, we can be victims of other stuff. I'm not decrying that. I'm not saying that what's happened to you is your fault. I'm just saying that sometimes it's easy to blame everyone else other than sometimes took a look at, take a look in God's word, which is a mirror, and say, God is... But one of the hard things is when you preach a message like this, I was thinking, what snappy title can I give it? Because as soon as you put the word obedience out there, it's like, oh. There's a bit of one that we recoil from because actually, friends, we live in a world now where it carries really negative thinking because it, we, we drift to a thinking of just a list of do's and don'ts or don'ts and do's, whatever way around you want to put it. Uh, Charles Stanley says the bottom line is that in the Christian life is obedience and most people don't even like the word. We recoil from it because we think it's just this list of do's and don'ts. But a couple of quotes from you here. Craig Rochelle says, I believe Christians often perceive obedience to God as some test to design to see if we're really committed to him. But what if it's designed as God's way of giving us what's best for us? Joyce Mayer, obedience to God is the pathway to the life you really want to live. And so God doesn't say, I want you to obey what I ask you to do because he's some kind of God on a power trip or something like that. It's because he has and wants what's best for us. He is a good, good father. Now, Hezekiah's dad doesn't believe that. Ahaz doesn't believe that, so he shuts the doors to the temple, and we're coming on to that now, and he leads them to worship other things. It's, it's a man who's saying, actually, this is what we really need. This is what we need to pursue. This God or this idol, we need to worship at this altar. And so Ahaz is about what I want and what I think is important, and Hezekiah is about what God wants. And so Ahaz comes, and he shuts the worship down at the temple. He literally nails the doors of the temple closed. Now, the temple is the place where you meet God in the Old Testament. The temple is the place where God would be powerfully at work in that place. And the point is simply this, friends. Disobedience begins to shut God out. When we say, no, I'm going after this and I want to live this way and I want to do that. And even though God says that, that's not what I want to do. It begins to close the door on God and shut him out. Did God want to move in that nation? Absolutely. But doing what is right in the eyes of God is key to his blessing, his favor, and his presence. And so they lose all of those things. And Hezekiah comes along in verse 3 and says, And in the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. He says, it's time to open up the doors of the temple again. We want God at work among us. We want to meet with God. We want to see Him at work. We want Him speaking to us and communicating with us. And where does this revival begin? Hezekiah says, it begins in me. He says, and he says, we've got to cleanse the temple. You've heard this phrase before. Revival begins in the house of the Lord. Among us. Before it ever touches a community outside of these walls, it begins to touch the community inside. It begins to move in a heart of a people who say, I want to do what is right and I want to live right. And we'll come back to that again in a minute. 
And so Hezekiah cleanses the temple. Now fast forward to the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16 says, where is this temple now? You are God's temple. And God's spirit dwells in you. In other words, if we want to see revival, if we want to see the blessing of God released, if we want to see revival, personal revival, revival in the church, revival in the community, we've got to open up the doors of our lives. The doors of our hearts, the doors of the church. And so Hezekiah says to him, consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord. In verse 10 through to 11, he says, it's in my heart, in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, in order that his fierce anger may turn away from us. My sons, do not be negligent. Do not right, do not kick this away. Do not. It's for someone else. For the Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister him and to be his ministers and make offerings to him. And so Hezekiah realizes, yes, it begins with me, but he begins to call the community of faith to recognize revival begins in or at the house of God. And before they even come to worship at an altar, before this scene, because you see it as a subheading uh, just before chapter, uh, verse 20, Hezekiah restores temple worship. But that is important. We see that came after they cleansed the temple. In other words, they never went to the altar to worship. Hezekiah said, we can't even begin to worship until, we're, until we get right in the eyes of the Lord. Because if we're not doing what God wants us to do, it becomes one of the biggest barriers to connecting and one of the biggest barriers to blessing. Because I tell you what, friends, God blesses clean connections. He says, we can't even think about worshiping yet. He says, we've got to consecrate ourselves, sanctify, dedicate, set apart, be holy. That's what consecrate means. This, these things, this not living right and doing right, it's a barrier. We can't just go to the house of the Lord and just go and rock up and want to worship and expect to feel the presence of God and the blessing of God and the favor of God and the move of God if we're not living right before God. And so they open up the doors and they cleanse the temple. And verse 5 says, he says, they carry out the filth. From the holy place. Ahaz had filled the temple with other gods. He'd filled it with other idols. He'd led the priests to worship at other altars. He'd conveyed a message that we need all this other stuff. And Hezekiah comes to him and says, What we need more than anything is God. They're prizing and pursuing all this other stuff over God. And Hezekiah says, Please. Stop. Let's cleanse the temple. Let's get rid of everything in our heart. Let's get rid of everything in our church that prevents us from obeying God. It says before we clear out every altar and idol outside in the city, which as you journey through the story does happen. Very few kings ever managed to pull down every high place that existed in the city. But you'll read of Hezekiah, he did. Such was the result. The, 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 the community, the city was cleansed. But he didn't just say, right guys, the first thing we go out and do is pull down every altar and idol in the city. He said, no, first of all, in my heart, every altar and idol has to come down. First of all, if there's any in the church, we've got, to, we've got to carry it out. We've got to get it cleansed out. We've got to get it removed so that we can connect with God and worship God, get the blessing of God flowing again. And then what's happening in here will begin to break out out there. Because if we're living right with God in here, we're going to have far more impact out there anyway. 
He says there's too much rubbish in the temple, too many idols, things that are holding us back, barriers to obedience and blessing. And so they consecrate, they cleanse the temple, they give themselves back to God, they give their hearts back to God, and then they begin to worship. You have to read this in your own time because of time. Verse 15 through to 20, when they've cleansed it all out, you see, when they've consecrated and they've carried out all the, all the rubbish, and they've cleaned the place up the, the, in the temple. And the temple, as I said, the New Testament is in our heart, and we can apply it to the church. Then they worshipped. Charles Finney says, Revival is a renewed conviction of sin and repentance, followed by an intense desire to live in obedience to God. Before every revival in history, before every move of God, before every personal church or community revival, there was first a people who said, God, we want to be right with you. There was repentance. There were people who said, God, cleanse the temple of my heart, of the church. People who are saying, let everything that's not God be cleaned out. Let it be removed for personal church and community revival. And from that place, last few things, from that place, Hezekiah says, now. Now the temple's clean. Now you've consecrated yourself and we've consecrated the house of the Lord. Let's get the life going. Let's start doing the stuff that puts God first and Keeps God first. And so in verse 7, we're told that Ahaz hid, verse 7 here, they'd shut the doors of the vegetable, they'd put out the lamps and not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. They'd put the, the fire out. The fire had gone out in the temple. You know, in the book of Revelation, when we read the book of Revelation, incense there, our prayers are likened to the sweet-smelling incense to God. God says your prayers are like sweet-smelling incense. In the temple, the incense kept the fire burning. When they stopped burning incense, the fire went out. What am I saying? Friends, the fire goes out in someone's heart, and the fire goes out in a church when people stop praying. Because prayer is putting God first. And Hezekiah says we've got to get the fire burning. If we want to see God move, friends, we need a revival of prayer. Hezekiah was himself a man of prayer. He didn't just call others to pray. Chapter 30, uh, chapter 30 verse 18 to 23, it talks about how he interceded for others. Second Kings, verse 19, we see him interceding again. How do we light the fire? Prayer is key to keeping the fire burning in our hearts, in our churches, and in what we want to see God in our community. It works. Secondly, he brought the focus upon the word again. Verse 25 to 30, it says they started doing things, quote, according to the commandments from the Lord. He says, I want to live God's way. Church, community of faith, we need to live God's way. Let's start doing things according to the commandments from the of the word. In other words, there was a revival of let's do what God says. Friends, we really need that. Let's do what God says. Verse 3, then they worshipped properly. Verse tw uh, sorry, verse 3, number 3. Verse 25 through to 30. There's this great scene of preparation. He's stationing people and getting people in the right place. The whole assembly worship, it says, the singer sang, the trumpet sounded. He talks to them there about bowing down. 
It says, and they bowed down in verse 30 of uh, chapter 29. And they bowed down. Sorry, and they sang praises with gladness and they bowed down and worshipped. What's the thing? He said, we've got to worship God right. There's got to be reverence and awe and joy in the house of the Lord. We want that gladness. We want that thankfulness. But we've got to bow down. We're not just going to dive in, guys. We're not just going to rock up and begin to worship kind of willy-nilly in some way like it doesn't matter. But we're going to prepare our hearts. We're going to get things right. It's an offering to God. And so he restores this understanding of worship as something where we approach God with an awe, with a reverence, and with thankfulness. There was gladness, there was reverence. And fourth, lastly, they focused upon the lamb. He brought the Passover back. They'd been neglecting to celebrate the Passover annually. They weren't celebrating it each year. Verse 30 through 1 through to 2. He sent letters to all Israel and Judah, to Ephraim and Manasseh, that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. For the king and his princes and all the assembly in Jerusalem had taken counsel to keep the Passover in the second month. Verse 5. Nearly done. So they decreed to make a proclamation throughout all Israel from Beersheba to Dan, that they should come and keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel at Jerusalem, for they had not kept it as often as prescribed. So couriers went throughout Israel and Judah with letters from the king and his princes, as the king had commanded, saying, O people of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may turn again to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Do not be like your fathers and your brothers who were faithless to the Lord of their fathers, so he made them a desolation, as you see. Do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield. Don't kick the can of personal obedience down the road. Yield yourself to the Lord. Submit to Him. Surrender to Him. Resolve to live His way. Come to His sanctuary, which He has consecrated forever, and serve the Lord your God, that His fierce anger may turn away. For if you return to the Lord, your brothers and your children will find compassion with their captors. Return to this land, for the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away His face from you if you return to Him. Hezekiah restored the Passover. What's my last point? He said, we need to proclaim the message of how God set us free. How he delivered us from Egypt. How he delivered us out of slavery. How judgment from God and, uh, for their sin had passed over every home. Every home and every life that had been marked by the blood of the Lamb. The Lamb. The message that they'd been saved by the blood of the Lamb. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7 says, Christ our Passover Lamb has been sacrificed for us. Friends, if we want God to move, there's a message we must continually proclaim to the world. There's something we must continually focus upon in our hearts and in the church and celebrate. It must remain at the heart of all we do. It's the message of the cross that we are saved by the blood of the Lamb. That through Him, through faith in Him, death and judgment for our sins passes over our life and we are given eternal life. A nation nowhere with God, disinterested, becomes a community all about God. And so revival in my life, in our church, in our town, in our families, in our friends, in our workplaces, in our schools, begins in my heart. It begins at the house of God. Recognize, respond. Beth, pop that last screen up where I'm finishing now. Thank you. The keys to personal church and community Revival. Recognize and respond. A revival of obedience.
Let there be a commitment to live right and do what's right in the eyes of God. To open the doors of our hearts and churches. To let God in and clear the rubbish out. A revival of holiness. A commitment to pray. A commitment to the word. A commitment to worship. And a continual focus upon the sacrifice of Jesus. The cross. The blood of the Lamb. The gospel. Amen. Hallelujah. Why don't you stand to your feet with me and we're just going to close in prayer. I'm going to ask Lois who's going to come and tell us. Share the in notices with us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, God. I, I, I just want to encourage you. See, I, I can't obey for you. <laughs> we each have to know what God's asking, what God might be putting his finger on, what's going on in our lives right now. I just want us to just boldly just allow God the right that's His as Lord to investigate our hearts and our lives. I just had that image this morning of that, that torchlight, that lamp shining. Shine your light. Shine your light inside my heart, inside my life. and Investigate my heart. Lord, as we stand before you today, I just pray that God, it's not just a Sunday morning thing, but Lord, through this week, that God, we would really not resist, but just allow you, Lord, and just pray that, Lord, you would just come and speak to each and every one of us, God, myself included, 100%. God, if there's anything in our lives that's not right in the eyes of the Lord, we just pray that, God, that you will show us, God, that we will do what's right. God, if there's anything that's unclean, if there's any filth in my heart, God, I want it to be carried out. I want to let, we want to let you in, Lord. We want to clear the rubbish out. God, we stand before you today. We want your blessing. God, we want to see a move of God in our hearts, in, our, in the house and in the community. God, I just pray there will be a revival of obedience, a revival of holiness. Is the mark of a people who love and trust you. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.